0: All right Zeke this is day two of our week of looking back and this was a very 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 special episode for us because on March 6th 2018 we had the late the great Al Young on the show and I remember this was like the moment that we felt like we kind of made it to be able to have someone like Al Young. I mean at that point I think we had 250 people listening a week and we had just gone from having Instagram videos that had thousands of people watching and we moved over to podcasts and 250 people were listening. And we're like, I don't know if we should keep doing this. And then we get Al young and we're like, I can't believe he wants to talk to us.
1: I think it was more, we wanted to talk to him and he was willing to talk to us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is more accurate than what I had. I think it was much more accurate. I remember I had reached out and I was talking to the PR person for Four Roses. And I said, well, you know, we'd much rather do it in person. And she's like, well, Al will do it over the phone. And we're like, yeah, we'll do it over the phone. It's okay.
1: No, I mean, and even before we mentioned the recording, I would say to anyone out there that's, you know, a Four Roses fan, whatnot, or just general bourbon enthusiast, look up the book that Al know spent years assimilating and writing about the history of four roses it's a wonderful read they were nice enough to send us a copy and sitting down and thumbing the pages and and seeing the history of the brand the highs and the lows um as you know whiskey went over the years he really did a wonderful job i thought putting together all the bits and pieces of how the brand was started again it's ups and downs and, and how it got to where it is now and I, I can't imagine anyone that's a bourbon enthusiast would not enjoy reading that book
0: yeah things that i took away from this whole episode was he gave away the special recipe for water he agreed with zeke on the origin of four roses because there is a couple different theories out there and he agreed with you, which was the start of a lot of people agreeing with Zeke and nobody agreeing with me. And
1: the theory, I read it from the book. I I didn't postulate this on my own.
0: I know, but there were a couple different theories out there and he said, well, which one do you think is right? And you said one and he said, yeah, I think you're right. Well, make
1: good sense.
0: The third thing is that, you know, he had some really interesting stories that we didn't always hear about the origin of everything with Jim Rutledge and some stuff that I had no idea of until we sat down and actually talked to him about that time from Seagram's going over to what is Four Roses now.
1: I mean, they were damn near belly up and it was a struggle to keep the brand alive but you know there was people that fought for it and believed in it that had been there forever like jim like al like dan gardner i mean back to the backbone there's just a ton of heart that's always supported four roses and that's what makes it the brand it is
0: totally agree with you and i was very very appreciative to sit down with al and uh I wish we could do it again. Just a, a side note for everybody uh, Zeke meant that he assembled the book, not assimilated the book. <laughs> you know,
1: sometimes me and words don't work out too well.
0: Anyways, uh, today's show is sponsored by CassCartel.com, changing the industry standard as to how you get your alcohol. You know, they are like the Amazon and the spirits industry, they hook you up with merchants that will send whiskey directly to your door and if you're like zeke you're super lazy you don't want to get up off the couch you're going to go to cascartel.com you're going to find something you like whiskey gin bourbon scotch rye whatever it is get it shipped directly to your door obviously an online retailer is going to cost a little bit more for some allocated items but your daily drinkers you can get them shipped pretty reasonably directly to your door and hell if you're sick of looking for pappy and you just want to find a place to buy it and you don't mind paying a little bit more go Go to cascartel.com and buy your pappy there. I mean, if you have the money, you know where it is. Also, find them on Instagram at cast Cartel. They're always doing awesome giveaways to the people that follow them. Today's show is also sponsored by premiumbarproducts.com, the one place you can go to get the official Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Glen Karen. You can also get personalized laser etched glassware, whether or not you want to say, bring back the stash, get it on a glass, you can do that. You can get the Dram, the Wee Dram, you can get the Glen Karen, you can get the Perfect Dram, the Distillers taste in glass. You can get the Tua, the Neat, whatever it is. They have it. You can laser etch it. They also have bar tools. Go to premiumbarproducts.com. And if you are a distillery or a bourbon group and you have a bigger wholesale order, reach out to me. I will get you in touch with them so you can get wholesale pricing on a bigger order. Zeke, without further ado, the godfather himself, Al Young, let's let everybody listen to this. And one of our first times actually fumbling through on a phone call. I think we had it on speakerphone. We were holding up to it and we knew that if we pushed any button, something would go terribly wrong in this recording.
1: No, I mean, uh, Al was great. I remember seeing him at a pic after this interview and kind of like, hey, do you remember talking? He's like, oh, yeah, I know. Where's your buddy, the big guy? I'm like, I keep trying to bring him.
0: (laughs) Without further ado, here's Al Young. Cheers. (laughs) Hello, hello everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me as always is Zeke Baker. Say hello to the folks, Zeke.
1: Hello, hello. Hope everyone's having a uh, a wonderful evening and enjoying a, a tasty something in front of them.
0: Wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, thanks for making us a part of your day. And this one is a good one, Zeke. We have someone very, very special on the phone that we are looking forward to talking to.
1: John and I are are admittedly very big fans of Four Roses. We really love some of those single barrel expressions. Uh, and over the past 30 or so minutes leading up to this, we've even become Pretty big fans of this yellow label expression they sent us. It's a sleeper, folks.
0: Often overlooked, (laughs) don't sleep on that yellow label. You're going to look at it. You're going to see that it is 80 proof. You might look over it for one of the private picks or store picks. But that as a daily, you know, that might be my daily drinker of 2018. I know early times was your daily drinker of 2017. But the price of that, I know it's 80 proof. But there is so much flavor from that yellow label for roses.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of that's the you know the fact that the proofs don't climb much on Four Roses. Um, a lot of those single bear expressions are still under 120. So cutting it down to 80, it's a cut. But um, it's not weak sauce or juice by any means.
0: No, it's got a bunch of flavor. It's got good nose. It's really enjoyable. But my phone's ringing right now. So let's go to the phone. You know, Zeke, we have someone very special on the phone right now. A lot of people would say that a certain person embodies the brand as a brand ambassador. This guy actually wrote the book on the brand, and that is the one, the only, Mr. Al Young. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, sirs. It is definitely not every day that we get to talk to somebody like you, and we will take this opportunity for everything it's worth, so I hope you're ready.
2: (laughs) I'll try to keep up.
0: (laughs) On this one, I think, you know, we we kind of talked to you beforehand. Everybody kind of knows the history. Jim Rutledge gives you your first tour at Four Roses at June fifth, nineteen sixty seven. You started off with an entry level quality lab job. You worked and moved up until nineteen eighty three when the distillery closed. Then you transferred to Seagram's in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Then came back in nineteen ninety to Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Reunited with Jim Rutledge. You guys bring it back to prominence. Getting rid of some of the blended stuff, really focusing on the straight bourbon, and now you're winning awards and putting out your own bourbon. Is that a good summation of all the history?
2: Wow, I didn't know we did all that.
0: <laughs> you guys did a lot, um, and I think yes, there is. Uh, Yeah, and I think the reason we put it that way is because we could sit here and have a big conversation with you on all the history and and everything that happened with Four Roses, but Zeke and I are whiskey dorks, so now that we got that out of the way, just to touch on the history here for a second, what do you think the thing was that changed it the most at Four Roses? Was it you and and Jim getting back together? You know, what was the secret sauce? What was the magic that, that brought it back?
2: I would like to say that that's the way it happened. But actually it was a lot of grit and determination by a lot of people to make the brand survive and make the distillery work because we were on the ropes. And it was a question of do or die because Seagrams really didn't know how to manage bourbon. And they were in the process of going out and we wanted to keep the thing going. Jim wanted to uh, ask us all to put in our retirement money to keep it going. We just didn't have enough to do that, so it it was uh, by cheek and by jowl there for a while before we uh, teamed up with the Kirin Brewery from Japan to to make this thing work. So it was uh, there's a lot of synergy involved there, a lot of good whiskey being made by a lot of good folks, and just watching for a place to let it go.
0: And even when you think about that, you know, when when Seagram did turn it over to Vivendi, it was almost like a time of turmoil. It was Seagram to Vivendi to Diageo to Kieran. it was kind of pinballing back and forth. That had to be tough too, right?
2: It was from the standpoint that we didn't know if we had jobs, So we were all at a critical point in our life. We had kids in college, we had kids in elementary school. Some of the some of the workers were really worried about their their future because. They had been through those tough times when the distillery didn't run for a year or two many years before, and they still stuck with it to make it work. And you know, it when you're when you're when your mean of in, means of income is on the line, it makes you wanna be more determined to make it work even better.
1: Very impressive to say the least. Uh, and, and definitely I'm not sure about you know John, but at least on my own end, looking back through just you know, brief history things and, and, and trying to become more educated. I hear everyone say, you know, there was this you know, dark time for Four Roses, which honestly I, I wasn't aware of before the book. And and then even probably more laughable for me, my parents are here this weekend and, you know, I explained to my dad, you know, we are interviewing Al Young, you know, D brand ambassador for Four Roses. And he's like, Four Roses? Is that even worth anything still? <laughs> so, you know, I laughed pretty hard. I'm like, yeah, Dad, You know, the, you know, it's like anything else. There's some ups and downs, but... Um, obviously, it, it's definitely a big uptick now, but it is interesting to see, you know, how people, you know, perceive or think of things over time, and, and you know where we're not. Well, not only
2: uh, probably not only did we have the problem of making sure that we had an owner or that we survived, but we had a lot to overcome because we were fighting the blended whiskey image while we were trying to rebuild a base for straight Kentucky bourbon, which is what we do now, without any regard for blending whiskey. For blended whiskey, rather that you know uses neutral grain alcohol, it was an uphill struggle for a while, and we're we're still, I guess, apprehensive from time to time to ensure that the brand stays on the right course.
0: I don't know what's more impressive: the fact that you guys brought the brand back to life, or the fact that you got Zeke to read a book. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it kinda goes hand in hand, a little bit of both. Right? Sort of like sorta like the little engine that could the old fashioned story. Well see, I can read uh,
1: that book well. You know, the, the Yeah, it goes any, really anything quick that's too. a, a four word sentence. That that's what I'm good at, especially from us. I think I could. I think I can. Yeah. I think I can. From from seven forty <laughs> at night to eight thirty at night, I I can do those four word sentences. Amazingly, I hear you. <laughs> we're we're used to reading llama llama Red Pajama," and I know that's probably
0: uh, uh too uh, too recent of a reference, but that's that's what the kids keep making me read right now. Well, you probably read that to grandkids at this point.
2: Probably
1: so. <laughs> but but to your um you know your statement of of uncertainty at times um uh, you know I guess knock on wood wouldn't want to jinx anyone but at least. The, I'll actually speak for John and I both on this one and say uh, we, we both feel more than comfortable stating that Four Roses is in an amazing place right now. And uh, he and I both, some of the best bottles we, we've had have been some of those single barrel expressions, uh, the private picks and whatnot. And I can't think of anything that, that's a, a, a better product or a go-to. I, I constantly recommend it to people, honestly, as far as what can I get that's you know cash strength, going to be an amazing flavor and something very novel and that I can probably find you know these days that's the most important thing somebody asks you and I just tell them you know find you a nice
2: a lot of of that has to do with the dedication to quality and it has to be quality whiskey or you can't do anything with it that
1: is
0: absolutely uh, a good point and I think it's a good segue to go to your quality whiskey. I don't know if you know this, but we did name the Al Young 50th Anniversary Bottle. That was our Whiskey of the Year in 2017. I can't tell you enough how amazing of a whiskey this was, how much it changed, how much if you let it sit there for you know 10 minutes and took a sip, it's different than you sit there for 10 minutes again and I got something different. Uh, it constantly changing and evolving and in good ways. I've never once had a sip of it and been disappointed. And I've always had something else to talk to Zeke about with it. And and for that, we just have to take our hats off to
2: you. Well, thank you very much for that. I'm glad that you chose it as your whiskey of the year for 2017. I must tell you that uh, I was amazed that we could hit the mark so closely for what i wanted to do with the whiskey to begin with you know brent came to me a a year ahead of time and said we're going to put a whiskey out in your honor and after he said that i sort of had to run around the room a couple of times to to get it into my head that they weren't kidding about it (laughs) and and then he said what would you like to have in it and i'd like i told him i'd like to have something that was a little bit southern in concept And the the notes on the back of the bottle, which we probably talked about before, or you've talked about before, uh, had a little bit of a southern overtone with vanilla bean and magnolia blossoms and ripe cherry and rich oak flavors, stuff like that that, you know, I I would like for them to bounce out. So we went together getting some samples of whiskeys and putting them together. And then uh, I had to do some traveling. And one day Brent called and he said, why don't you come on down and take a look? See what we've got going together here for you. So I went down and looked at the samples and uh, went through about two or three of them. And I thought, these are really good. And then that fourth one, say, or the fifth one, just really stood out, just popped in my mind. And I said, I really like this. This is really good. And I don't know if you, how much you uh, know about Brent Elliott or if you've met him, but Brent's not the kind of guy to agree with you just to agree with you. But over, the, over my shoulder, I heard him say, that's the one I like, too. <laughs> so I knew we were on the right track. Okay, I knew we were headed the right way. And then he said, but I'll tell you what I'd like for you to do. Come back in a day or two. I want to kind of tinker with the percentages a little bit, kind of see what we can do here. And when we did, I came back and we took a look at it again. I rolled right up to the sample I liked the first time. Then I thought, "Eh, maybe we need to go a couple more, and I did. And when I did, I said, this one really bounces out. This is good. This has what I'm looking for. And Brent, over the shoulder again, said... I like that one too, and I figure anytime <laughs> you can agree with your master distiller, you're doing pretty decent.
0: Well, and and you're you're teeing it up perfectly here for me because I got a couple questions. I mean, you have 12 year OBSF, that's 20 percent in there. The the 15 year OBSK, that's 25 percent. The 23 year OBSV, that's five percent. And there's a 13 year OESV, and that makes up the bulk at 50 percent. Those percentages, is that something that brent kind of put together based on the notes you gave him and then you went and tasted those or did you have recipes that you liked after being there for so long that you said i absolutely want these four in there
2: well i i did like i did like the the k recipe it's always been a favorite for a long time and the V is what's what's made the farm. We've made a lot of V in the distillery when I was distillery manager. And you know, and I'm dancing around the bush a little bit because just as soon as you declare the ones that you're a favorite, everybody jumps on it. And it's not really and it's not really true because some of the spearmint qualities out of that OBSF just lit up the root when you get it in that final finish. You know, when you taste the whiskey and you get a little bit of a minty character near the end so you know just to specify those four codes to begin with not necessarily the only thing that i would like to have had and did get was to have whiskey that was made when i was the distillery manager at four roses and that hit the hit the ballpark right there and that's why there's
0: the 23 in there right the 23 year right
2: right interesting and and even so far as nice. the 15, and at the time, the 12. That was about right.
0: That is crazy. That I mean, I can't think of one bottle to honor somebody better than everything you kind of just described there.
2: Well, you know, the whiskey is the reason. But they went a step further and made a container that looks like a, a, a bottle that was being used when I first came to work in the industry. So it's, it's a bottle design that Seagram's was using from 1965 to 1969. And it's got that really beautiful cartouche in the center with the round circle with the roses in the middle uh, that you will find on some of those bottles from that time period. It's over the moon. I thought it was cool.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to keep jumping in because Zeke's looking at me. I know he has a question, but that is the best-looking bottle I have on my shelf. And <laughs> I just love it. I love – I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone. We've, we've talked about this before. I've said I. it's one of those things where you're just so happy the whiskey is good because it just looks so good in the bottle too.
2: Well, you know, when I first got a bottle of it and brought it home, I mean, I'm. I, I just couldn't believe it was actually happening. I sat on the dining room table and walked around that table for about 20 minutes, <laughs> just looking, just looking at it. Seriously, uh, I was looking at it and uh, judging it and trying to figure out how you could get so much flavor into a whiskey that was only about 100 and what 107.6 proof or something like that.
0: Yes, sir. I, I think uh, Fred Minnick's review sums it up best. Right? He listed everything
1: that you could possibly taste and that was his review of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he did an excellent job of it.
1: Yeah. It, it was a paragraph in, in one sentence, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to John's note and to yours as well, uh, I had a similar experience. I lucky enough to, to get it from the Cox Creek Distillery the day it was released. Sorry I didn't make it all the way up to the, the distillery where you are, but uh, coming from Nashville... <laughs> logistics were just easier obviously um, sure but, sure but had a had a similar experience finally got home and uh sat out on the deck and, and said alright let's see what this thing is that I've uh got up before the sun had an early morning long day and uh Let's see if it was worth it, so to speak. And, and literally just had it in the glass and looked at it and, you know, nosed it for forever and enjoyed it. And then finally started diving in and, and literally over probably another 45 minutes, just letting the flavors develop and experience
2: that's one of the hallmarks of what i look for in whiskeys is it's okay i mean if you have some hype about a whiskey or you have some knowledge of a whiskey that's one thing but when you drink it you don't want the words to come out of your mouth good golly why did i get that to begin with <laughs> you know, we've all been there. is this is this all there is is this what it is oh gosh I wanted to make something, and I, I think we do that with everything we turn out. But I wanted to make a whiskey that you wanted to drink not only once, but you want to drink it again.
1: Oh, I would say I would add about four agains to that and, and say literally it, it's a you know a cornucopia of flavor. Uh, <laughs> John, John and I are by no means the most experienced um, or educated tasters or palate or however you want to look at it. For two guys We give relatable reviews I I thoroughly enjoy it And and not to knock anyone Or or be negative But at least in my own opinion I think anyone that just doesn't Relish in every aspect of it It's just too many flavors Which is not a bad thing at all (laughs) I I, I think people have their textbook complexities of this is where the nose should be this is where the palate should be and this is where the finish should be and if it broadens those parameters it's somewhat problematic mentally but i get different tastes not even each pour but each sip i just truly enjoy it
2: well it's it certainly wakes up your senses that's for sure and and you're not getting a burst of super high proof alcohol that deadens your senses you're getting a nicer uh surround uh Mouthfeel to it. It's hitting all the flavor receptors. And more importantly, when it comes down to gullet, you're getting a really nice finish with very little burn.
0: And I think that's one of the things, too. It hits the sweet spot. It's almost like the Goldilocks. It's not 130 proof that it's going to kill you. It's not 80 proof that's making you want more. It's just that right in the middle that's opening everything up. I think, uh, for me, it just coats your mouth. I mean, we're sipping on it right now, in full disclosure. And (laughs) we're going to... Unfortunately, we're looking at our bottles, and we're realizing we're almost out. And this is becoming... Increasingly harder and harder to find. What do you well, I, hate f- to,
2: I hate to break this to you, but you know, and and you probably think I'm lying. I wish I had it on the on the uh, Skype, but I'm sitting here looking at my bottle of Four Roses Small Batch 50th Anniversary, and it's getting below the top label, and I'm saying, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> well, I think
1: you have better contacts than we do to get another bottle. We're almost well, under. I'm we're we're sure. under the 50. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we are right. We're halfway through the 50th right now. That's where And, and we by are. we,
1: John means Zeke's bottle.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it also begs the question. So So we talk about all those things and everything being unlocked in the nose. And I do have to say it's not an astringent nose. I mean, you are getting a warm, open flavor right on the nose. You're getting your tongue and mouth is just coated in caramel and all sorts of other goodness and the finish doesn't really give you a terrible kentucky hug it's just nice and warm and inviting so when you had these from brent elliott and and he sits you down and he says these are my different uh, blends that i've put together what are you looking for in the the taste and the mouth feel and the palate and the finish what's the number one thing you gravitate to is it the nose is it the the mouth feel is it the finish what what really excites you about those
2: I'll tell you what I'm primarily looking for. I'm looking for a, a, an alcohol that does not bite. The last thing I want to have is something that, that just takes your takes the roof of your mouth off or your tongue. I don't want a bite that, that uh, disturbs the total ambiance of the liquid. I want something that settles in nicely. Maybe have a little heat at the beginning on the front of the tongue. But then when it settles in, it just demands that you expect... Flavors that you are enjoying and that you really get out of it.
0: I should warn you, we're under the fiftieth now.
1: (laughs) We we had to pour second glasses. Oh my goodness! So regarding blending, at least, and um, it's something John and I talk about offline, and, and you know, tinkering around with things when we're bored. How do you really approach that? And and what profiles do you really try and seek out, or is it just you know totally, uh, I guess novel each time? Like, all right, I'm going to try to assemble this or that, and then how long does it does it sit or anything you you would do to it before tasting uh, once you've assembled something like that?
2: Well, it takes several weeks for sure from concept to finalizing samples, just to take a look at them and evaluate. So it takes a while. You've got to let the whiskey breathe. Of course, you realize we we have uh, an understanding of what all of these different codes are capable of doing. And then when you say that, you turn around and look at the tier that the barrel came out of, uh, the warehouse it came out of, although there's no sweet spot, really, for Four Roses barrels. You take into consideration some of the winners in the past, and you kind of gravitate toward that. And then you... You know, experiment. You've got your profile you're looking for. Southern. Hmm. What do we need there? We need a little spice. We need a little fruit. We need a little bit of herbal complex to it. Uh, and we need maybe a little bit of the of the rye character. And then you start reaching into your quiver, if you will, and start bringing things out to mix together. And you
0: touch on a bunch of different things. <laughs> and you are a seasoned veteran. Uh, But let's go to the first thing. I think we can all agree that Al Young's 50th anniversary release was amazing. Uh, Thank you very, very much for putting it out. To close out this section, I would just say, are we going to get another one?
2: I can't say that I'm not going to be here for the second 50th.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can we get a 51st anniversary?
2: You never know. But I I don't think we're going to be doing hundred. (laughs) But uh, you can expect some interesting things to come about. Uh, After all, uh, Four Roses is celebrating its 130th anniversary for the the brand this year in 2018. So in keeping with what we've done in the past, I wouldn't doubt that there's a limited edition small batch in the works.
0: Can uh, we be assured that you're going to have your hand in it at some point, or are you going to trust that all to Brent?
2: I think that we'll have a hand in it, if nothing more than just taste the samples. <laughs> but uh, we, but uh, Brett and I have talked about it briefly, uh, and in in some shape or form, lengthy conversations. We've got some interesting ideas coming out that will be different than the fiftieth. That's our objective: is to be different than the fiftieth. But I think you're going to like what you get.
1: Well, with with ten mashes, uh, I think that it certainly affords you that opportunity, and. You know, if if somebody's hand isn't present on a certain day, you know, if you let us know, you know, 12 hours in advance or so, we could probably <laughs> find a, a sick day at work or some PTO for some other reason and, and make a trip up. Yeah, you have our number well, now.
2: We might have to do the secret hand <laughs> shake. You know? But
0: moving into the the other part of the interview and. And. If you are listening, uh, we are talking to Al Young. You should know that. You selected the episode with his name on it. But we are a whiskey dork show, as you all know. And Mr. Young was starting to get into all the sorts of things that all of you uh, or all of us talk about all the time. Now, you talk about the warehouses and you say there's not a sweet spot. There was a big rush last year for warehouse ME because that came out and everybody was saying that that ME was getting all the good stuff. What's your take on the single-story warehouse versus multi-story warehouses? Do you think that makes a difference? And what is it, you know, when people say a warehouse is having a particularly good batch, is that just the run of juice that came or is that something like weather, you know, all sorts of variables, things like in the wood? What do you think causes that mass hysteria to happen i know that was a loaded question because it's a bunch of questions all in one
2: the answer is yes <laughs> i know that what you were talking about about someone declaring that me was the was the warehouse of the day and uh, it got to be so hectic especially in private barrel selections that we were almost threatening to go out and write an M on every warehouse <laughs> but for the private barrel selections. But the, but the the fact of the matter is the single-story warehouses give us more even aging with only six levels high in each rick. It gives the air a chance to circulate. It brings about a combination that you can't get in multi-storied warehouses. Now, I've worked in multi-story warehouses in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and they're the deuce in the summer. They're hot and all get out on the upper floors, cold in winter. And they are something in their own right that a lot of people cherish. And back in the day when people were rotating barrels, it was kind of the tour de force. But these single-story warehouses uh, have so much more to offer, we think, for our bourbons. It doesn't really matter whether it's Warehouse C or Warehouse M. You're going to find a diversity in all the barrels.
1: And to that note, I will say um, one of our local friends here in Nashville, uh, Lauren Simpson. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with. His assertion is that the warehouse doesn't matter. It's simply the distillate or the run. uh, You know, and I assume the yeast as well. For you know what came off the line that day. Would would you? uh, I guess align with that statement.
2: Yeah, he did say the
1: answer to everything was yes.
2: you know, you you, you can almost uh, uh, guarantee that you're going to be able to taste the distillate and know, I mean, you will know if it's a high rye or if it's a high corn, and in most cases you'll be able to kind of get an idea whether it's spicy or, or something like that, but it's not until it really gets aged out, and Lauren's got a good palate on it, but you you don't know until you've had a chance to age it out. And even if you're using the same mash bill, whether it's the high rye or the high corn, and you're using the same yeast, the position in that warehouse could alter it to the point where you think you've got a, say, an OBSV, and it turns out to be an OBSQ. Because really? you're so dead set on your, in your mind that you know what you're looking for. And you know what you're looking for from a certain mash bill and yeast type. And the wood will change it for you. The warehouse itself. uh, will do some changes on it. The length of time that it's aged. There are just so many variables that it's it's more of a a Duke's mixture every time you go into a barrel selection.
1: No, I I, I laugh at that notion uh, honestly because you know we have plenty of friends that will ask. All right, so you're talking about four rows of single barrel. All right, well, which one or two you know you know mashes do you really like and i just laugh and say hadn't had a bad one yet if you want to send me what you, <laughs> you want to send me one you're not sure of i'll be more than happy to give you my thoughts but uh, i don't i don't limit myself by any means i, I enjoy them all and uh am thankful for every, every one i get to taste
2: well we've had people that have come to barrel selections that actually do n- never want a certain yeast code in the setup for the number of barrels that we have for them to sample. And I remember one time when there was a case where somebody said they didn't like a declared recipe and that we had it out there, not because we wanted to be nasty or anything, but just because that's what we had to offer. And they couldn't stand this particular code. And after all of the selection was done, they picked it. <laughs>
1: In- inevitably, that, that, that was bound to happen.
2: <laughs> and, and you just have to say, well, how about that?
1: Yeah, always always have an open mind. And I I will say I, I did see at the, uh, the the beginning of the book that, that you were somewhat of a history buff. So it, at least, if nothing else, to to prove uh, I read this thing, I, I did see a note saying that <laughs> is this your book report right now? Hey, I'm just proving <laughs> I read the thing. Okay, <laughs> oh, if you're okay, speaking okay. to a history buff, I don't want to think we're, we're BSing here. Um,
2: well, you know, I used to t- I used to take uh, take offense when people said, you know, you're a history off i mean that sounds like well you dabble in it from day to day and maybe you don't dabble in it for a year and you come back to it or whatever there is to it but you know if you're lucky enough to be in the industry as long as i have not only are you historical because you're old but but (laughs) things just kind of cling to you you meet the people you know what's going on in the industry uh, you have some idea when the product changes, some of the advertising techniques and everything. And if that's what it takes to be a history buff, I'm all for
1: it. I, I just think that means that that you care, and that's just genuine, and you you can't replace or beat that as opposed to any other emotion about uh, you know a hobby. And one other thing that I
0: have to ask you before Zeke gets back into, we're we're looking at each other just so you know and. We know you're a seasoned professional because every time you say something, we're like, okay, I have a follow up, and Zeke's like, I have four <laughs> follow ups, and I'm like, I have five. But um there's not that many places to go for history anymore, you know, besides a good book. And uh I think that's something to be said about your book. You really put some time in there and it really outlines the brand and just
1: we're we're very appreciative of that.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Sorry, Zeke, continue your book report. I, I yeah, interrupted so- you. So to the original point, I was just going to toss out that, um, you know, per the book, it does say with the the single level story high ricks, there should only be, you know, roughly an eight degree temperature variance as opposed to most people that have the multiple stories. Uh, up to 35 degree variance, which obviously can, uh, you know, alter what's going in and out of the barrel and, and how much of a uh, you know flavor influx there
2: could be. Yeah, you do have a quite a bit of loss. Uh, it's an overused term, but the angel share, mm-hmm. the amount of evaporation, the uh, things that can, you know, occur in the liquid take a terrible beating. The more heat you apply to it, you can't age whiskey any faster. By artificially heating it or cooling it, and we don't do that. We uh, rely on the ambient temperature outside to do the work for us. We'll open a we'll open a window every once in a while and let some air in, especially in the summer when it's really warm, so that uh, the fumes don't asphyxiate anybody sitting in the warehouse working. But uh, outside of that, we just let nature take care of it.
1: So, so to that note, I guess especially in in today's market, consumer-wise. There's a, a, a strong group that are very pro age statement and a group that are very, very anti. I guess I would wonder where you fall on that notion. Uh, obviously, as you said, you know, the, the 23 that's in the, the blend has uh, multiple, you know, meanings and reference to you. But do you really look at an age statement as a, a judging factor or, or where do you go for when you, you look and determine how Good well, you know, for a, barrel is. For,
2: for a long time, and rightly so, we've always maintained that we think our whiskey does its best between six and eight years old. But there are some rare instances out there where you've got some barrels that are coming along that uh, get a little bit older and are deserving to put into these limited editions. But, you know, the 80 proof Four Roses straight bourbon that we make is probably the most undervalued whiskey on the market today because sometimes it has really old whiskeys in it. Well, it's funny you say that because,
0: not to interrupt you again, I've said that a couple of times, but Zeke and I were sitting here, you guys were nice enough to send us over a small batch, a single barrel, and the yellow label. And that yellow label, we've been sitting through it and we're about halfway through that bottle. It is really smooth and it is really good. That should not be overlooked.
2: No, I don't think it should. I think you're on the right track with that one. <laughs> small batch has it, small batch has its place. It's good whiskey. Makes a great Manhattan. Single barrel by itself, up neat or or over a cube or so, it can hold its own with anybody else's single barrel. There's no question about that. If not surpassing it,
1: I, I so, wouldn't disagree on you know, any of those statements.
2: But this poor Roses 80 proof. Oh my goodness, it's. It's out of sight. That's the one that if there's an expression to use like made the farm or paid the rent, this is the one that's been around for quite a while and it does the work.
1: Uh, I could certainly see that and I guess in my head I'm, I'm kind of thinking that especially with the majority of the single barrels I've seen being somewhat lower proofs compared to competitors, I think that the 80 proof may get overlooked as being overly diluted, but there is a ton of flavor in that thing. There uh, there
2: certainly is. There I, I, really is. I've been blown away for
1: the past hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things,
0: I think we are admittedly kind of Four Roses dorks, but I think you get caught up sometimes in the single barrel hype and the recipes and the, the limited edition small batches that it's good for us to have periods like this where we sit back and just say like you know those other ones are really good when you're really just sitting and enjoying a pour but daily drinker status things like that that yellow label you can't beat the price nor can you
1: beat the taste
2: well that's good to hear um, we sort of think so
1: yeah yeah so, so a, a random question um <clears throat> pertaining to the yellow label since we're on that one and i guess a a difference i, I caught up in the book again the the back of the L label has one story as to uh, you know how the four roses name or label came to be, but the book the book alludes to a different one, um, and, and instead of mentioning uh, you know Paul Junior, it, it speaks to Lawrence Lavelle Jones. Which, which, which of those two stories do you buy?
2: Well, you know, I think that Lawrence Laval Jones' story kind of was a takeoff from Paul Jones's early attempt to uh, <clears throat> woo a Southern Belle. And, uh, <laughs> so consequently, I think he just borrowed the idea from his Uncle Paul. But that in itself is a love story that, that is just unbelievable. I mean, that anybody could stay so devoted to a woman uh, that he would go over to her house and and woo her and entice her enough to wear a corsage of, Four Red Roses and say yes was just, you know it speaks well of the man I mean this was a guy that was dead level best a hard nosed businessman who turned out being the champion of Four Roses up until the day he died in 1941 he was a force to be reckoned with Well, it, it, his love for this woman just about took him out when she died
1: It, it, it at least for the Lawrence Lavelle side uh, supposedly the the, the madam was from um, Columbus, Georgia and being from Georgia and uh, my my uh, my mother's side of the family being from down near that area I, I can't say it's not believable it's, uh, I, think of, <laughs> I think of my grandmother and she tells me about being courted by my grandfather and I, I laugh heavily
2: Well you know I've talked to a lot of Jones family members and some of them older and some of them uh, middle aged and they all swear that it's true and they swear that he was who the man that they say he was that he was he was just dedicated to her dedicated to making the business grow and uh did a good job on both
0: well women make men do crazy things Uh, i don't know if you've seen the taj mahal but that was all (laughs) and that and that castle in versailles you know that was also the uh kentucky's version of the taj mahal and women women my drive house, men to greatness right
2: well my house in in lexington's living testimony to that <laughs> um, my wife uh wasn't my wife when i first met her and uh she said you know if you're gonna marry me you better find a job that makes some money and that sort of drove me to get into the business in the first place anyway
0: well and that drove you away from the theater right
2: yeah it did it did uh, yeah i I was in public relations and working for a theater in Louisville, uh, just you know, living the dream, just going out having a grand time and all that. And uh, she kind of brought me to my knees, and in many ways, and started this career that's now lasted over 50 years. It's amazing.
0: It is. Absolutely incredible. I'm sure Zeke has another follow-up, but can I go back to something that we talked about 20 minutes ago? That that single-story warehouse, you guys don't have to rotate the barrels like you would in those multi-level ricks. You, you can kind of leave them. You don't have to worry about rotating those through those six levels, do you?
2: No, we don't. We don't rotate them. We might have to move them to get to a barrel we want because of the age on it or because of uh, code that we need, but we'll usually put them right back where they were.
0: I bet you could kind of save on overhead, because those other places are moving one from the sixth floor down to the first floor, and the the second floor up to the fifth floor, and like you talked about, uh, those higher floors are a lot hotter. It's got to make for a more continuous ecosystem.
2: Right, exactly.
0: That was one that admittedly we went out to a bunch of people and like we normally do and, and our friends and we say um, hey guys we're going to have Al Young on what are some questions that you have opposed to the questions that we have and that I'll tell you most questions we got were when is there going to be another Al Young release uh, which we <laughs> had that one too the other one was on the single story Rick houses one was on your favorite recipe but you already kind of said you're not going to mention that because everybody will go get it I think um <laughs>
2: That is kind of being a pompous, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's it's kind the, of being like somebody would believe what I say, but you'd be surprised. It's the uh, truth.
0: It's the truth. We'd see, yeah. we'd see values on a certain market go way up once we heard, Al Young's favorite is OBSQ. Um, <laughs> I think Dan Gardner always has a good answer on that. He goes, well, this week it's this, and last week it was something else.
2: <laughs> it's well said. Dan Dan is a master at it. He knows exactly what he's talking about.
0: And then another question we got Sorry if we're kind of going random here. We promise if you're listening to us, we did outline this out and have some thoughts. But the other big question that we got is, you know, a lot of the stuff you have is is high rye. So you have your high rye mash, you have your low rye mash, and there's all sorts of different percentages in there depending on the 10 different recipes. Will you guys ever release a rye or is that something that you're good with just the 10 recipes as they
2: are? You know, one of the things, uh, John and Zeke, that has held us back is the fact that we didn't have the capacity to do something like that. And now with the expansion project that's added another still and doubler, more fermenters and more warehouses, I'm not going to rule out the possibility of doing a higher rye, but I can't tell you when, (laughs) because right now we are... Doing our dead level best just to meet the demand for the product that we have now for all 50 states that we're in and in Europe and in Japan.
0: And Japan actually gives you guys the bulk of your business, right? A lot of the stuff goes out there. Is that because of the Karen influence or was that going before?
2: Well, actually, uh, it does play a big part in it. It does. When you're out of the market for uh, almost 60 years, I believe is the best way to say it. Then you do reply, re- require a, a more emphasis on your export markets, and that's what we had going on in Europe and in Japan. And Japan, of course, uh, had a uh, relationship with us through Kieran, who became our distributor back in the 1970s, and they're they're the ones that made uh, with along with Seagrams made that brand paramount in japan and in certain parts of europe as well
0: that's super premium you see uh people post pictures of it it just makes it sound better right four roses super premium
2: well you know you gotta have a little punch you gotta have a little hype. <laughs> <life.
1: laughs> it always helps if if nothing else um john and i were fortunate enough an event a few uh months back to have some uh some four-year four roses no it was a two-year was it, two year? Was it? Yeah, it was it was, a, it was young, but had amazing flavor. We we laughed at, uh, at, at how solid that was as far as a uh, you know a, a private sampling, so to speak. One question that we also had, or at least uh, you know I did as well. From what I could gather from you know the, the lineage here is the original yeast that was bought from Seagram's still being used, or has has that changed?
2: the yeast cultures that we use now are the ones that came out of the seagram library and had been involved with four roses when they owned it uh so we have proprietary relationship and ownership of those yeasts so they are the ones that that uh seagram started uh, back in the 40s and uh, they're still pure and still uh, alive and well One thing about it, if somebody said they had the original four roses, it would have been made by the Paul Jones Company, and those yeasts and so forth weren't desirable for Seagram, so they changed the composition when they bought it in 1943.
0: You hear stories about the Russells having backups in their their freezer at home. Did they give you an emergency yeast that, that you have to keep in the freezer in case something happens?
2: We keep our yeast in the White Laboratory in California. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and every month we get fresh samples to continue growing our yeast at the distillery and making our product. So we we've got it. We've got it covered.
1: Good. Good to hear. Um, you know, should anything happen, which just for perspective, as someone that's been in the business for forever, a neighbor down the road had a fire some years ago, and you know, there's speculation that that the yeast may have been lost, and and that's what changes the flavor profile that some people remember, how much, I guess, uh, faith would you put in that or what's your perspective there?
2: I think that, you know, anybody that has any sense at all probably has a reserve backup yeast somewhere. And to think that it changes and alters the flavor is just like somebody saying that, well, it was six weeks of bad weather and that changed or altered the flavor. You know, it's perception, public's perception of things not being like they used to be, or things are not not uh, going according to, to the plan. Uh, that's one reason why we did the expansion in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, was because of the limestone filtered water in the Salt River and the uh, micro uh, bacterial count in the distillery was favorable for making the whiskey that we make. And for that reason, we didn't want to change it.
0: Uh, that's a fair point. Kind of going back to to things we talked about. You know, you do talk a little bit about picking barrels and people that have come in for private selections. And I think one of the things that has probably changed with Four Roses and really built it up as things have moved forward are the private selections. You know, getting one of the ten recipes, having a store pick, having a private group pick. First off, how much do you think that has actually benefited you all? The second part of that is how much fun do you have on those? And then the third part <laughs> is, you know, what do you really drive? I mean, we we tell you, you know, we do a lot of blind tastings. Is that what you drive a lot of people to in those picks or do people know what they're picking when they do it? How, how would you sit somebody down and have them select a barrel? So I know, again, well, it's a triple barrel question, but uh, I know you can handle it.
2: First of all, we, we uh, usually arrange the barrels so that the information on the barrel head is not available to those who are in there making the pick. We turn the barrels around so that they don't have a chance to be prejudiced by what the, uh, what the code might be, the production date, or anything like that. Uh, even even uh, we, we don't necessarily do that on the 100 proof program. Because it's all the same recipe, the OBSV recipe, similar to our regular single barrel. But there are no, the biggest thing about the whole thing is there are no cast off barrels in private barrel selection. They're all first rate barrels that were chosen by Brent to be in the program to uh, support this infatuation with private barrel selections by retailers as well as groups. Uh, that helped to get the uh, Four Roses' name out there. I know we're doing our best to keep the program going, and it's not always easy to do because of the availability of the codes and waiting for things to come of age. So it's it's done a lot to drive the business. It really has. And the buzz all over social media and everything has created a culture that's saying, have you got the OBSQ or the OBSV from... Such and such liquor retailer, and it drives that secondary market, and it just creates buzz, and that in turn drives the local retailer. It's been a very profitable thing for us in many ways, not only from the from the uh, sale of the barrel, but also from the the buzz that goes out across the country. There's so many whiskey nerds out there; it's unbelievable. Oh <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's definitely
1: there. Um, I, I've had. And also in the past three months, at least uh, two or three picks that went out that, that somebody somewhere messaged me, just said, hey, aren't you in Nashville? Well, I saw something somewhere that, <laughs> that, that this store had this pick. Can, can you get me one? Yes, um, and, yes. And, and and honestly, luckily, I've been able to oblige the majority of the time. But
0: Well, some of the ones here sell out. I think two of the stores that we love here are Carruthers and Elixir. And the last Carruthers pick... I think sold out in 12 hours and the, the last elixir pick, it was a short barrel, but he didn't even, I don't even think he had it in the store. I think enough people claimed it before he even got it. That yeah. But by,
1: by the time this runs, we we won't be uh, <laughs> committing any fouls, but it was strictly um, basically an allocated. If, if I know yep. you, I'll offer this to you. If not, it's not going on the shelf. <laughs> That that's how crazy Four Roses has become. I think in
0: one way you have to smile, and as we're telling you this, you're probably like, "That's good. It's good for the brand that it's coveted." And then in another way, you're probably thinking, "Hot damn, we got to get more barrels for that."
2: <laughs> it, it it is a two edged sword, that's for sure. Are those
0: fun for you? What's the? Do you really enjoy? Yes,
2: they are. They they are fun because. No matter how many you do in a week's time or whatever, the people are engaging. The people are sincere in wanting to try to get the barrel that they think will do the best for their store. I always ask them, what are you looking for? What do you think you want to have uh, that will uh, be suitable for the people that are buying a variety of products? In other words, what are they into? Are they buying stuff other than poor Rose's? and if they are, what are they? And then you can kind of wonder if that's what's driving their palate.
0: Yeah, and, and we always love the, the social media pictures after the fact when you happen to show up and everybody goes, look who was at my, my pick today, and then it's <laughs> oh, all up goodness. everywhere.
2: Oh, well, you know, it's... <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. You know, that's that's something that I've never never really... Fostered or pushed uh, about being at a selection. It's nice when it happens, and if, if it makes people feel good, well, well and good. All
1: right. And, and as we said, we, um, or at least I guess I can't speak for John, but I, I've yet to have a single barrel that I, I wasn't a fan of. No, you can speak for me. But <laughs> with, with that, are, are some of the mashes, which I guess obviously end up may or may not be in a single barrel. But is the intention for some of those to be used in blends? And when you get a cherry one, it's really good. But for the most part, are any of the mashes, like I say, just just normally meant to be intended for for blending versus uh, enjoyed
2: on their own? Well, when you take your maturation studies and you're looking at whiskeys for this and that and the other, we don't ever make whiskey for a specific brand or a specific uh, expression of Four Roses. We just look at them and chart their progress and kind of get an idea where we might want to use them. And then um, when that aging takes place, we'll decide, well, you know, this one probably would be better to be in the 80 proof. Or this is a special OBSV to go into single barrel. Or maybe we should hold this one out to be in a limited edition. Or the K and the O that's going into the small batch requires that we use these barrels here that fit that profile. It's a it's a question of fitting profiles rather than you know trying to be uh, demanding about any of the whiskeys. We let them do their own thing.
0: Now, one thing we've heard, and and we know you can set the record straight. We've heard about this mythical OBSB and OESE.
2: What... Some of those happen. Some of some of those happen to be codes for water mash that are put up at the very beginning of a run in the the, uh, distilling season and that means that they are using maybe something to get us started before our yeast comes online and so forth until we get up to speed. So some of those will be out there and they'll be aging in the warehouse and they'll end up probably being in blends more than anything else.
0: That makes sense. One thing, I know we've had you on for a long time. We know it's late for you, so we're not going to keep you it on. It is, because i
2: got to get up in the morning, and i got to go to work.
0: I know, so we won't <laughs> keep you on too much longer, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. You are such a great storyteller. What's one of your favorite stories? And and I know it's tough out of 50 years, but we, we didn't touch on the history enough. So what's one of your favorite stories from your time at Four Roses?
2: Oh, wow. G. Wiz, I think probably uh, probably one of them had to do with uh, Charlie Beam, who was the master distiller before Ove Haney and Jim Rudledge came along. He was he was sort of like the Kentucky area administrator for Seagram's, and he was a short in stature, stature guy that smoked Lucky Strikes. And when I first went out there, I thought I'm gonna be just like Charlie, so I. Started smoking Lucky Strikes and tried to emulate what he would do and learn as much as I could out of how to run the distillery out there. And uh, then we all got separated, and, and uh, he retired, and I went uh, to Indiana to work and came back and saw him one time. And as a result of smoking the Lucky Strikes, he was on oxygen. <laughs> he looked up at, and he looked up at me and he said, "Are you happy you came back?" And I said, "Yeah, sure am." And then a little while later he passed on and I'd lost contact with him and then one of his relatives came out and said, "You know, how well did you know Charlie?" And I said, "Well, I don't know him knew him pretty good, but" he said, "Well, we didn't realize it till we started writing his obituary, but during World War II Charlie was a tail gunner in the bombers that flew over Germany and they said when uh he figured out that if he could Right as many of them as he could, he could go home quicker. So he would get off one plane and get on to another uh, without taking a much of a rest in between and go out and continue uh, the bombing runs so that he could get back to Kentucky. And he was a quiet man. He was a very, very together person, but he didn't say a whole lot or never showed any sense of anger. But if he saw something he didn't like, he would go back to his office and usually kick a file cabinet or something really <laughs> wild. But he was one of the guiding forces in making sure that uh, the quality was there. And that that trickled down through everybody that he ever worked with. And it's something we still do today.
0: And, and that's probably unique that the fact that you started off working in the quality lab probably has been something that stuck with you for these 50 years and and really ensuring that that quality is there. That has to be something that's that's close to your heart. It is. Now, speaking of which, we know the quality is there at Four Roses. We've talked about all the things that we do like about it. You know, one thing I would be remiss in, in asking before we let you go is you've got to see this industry change a lot in 50 years. You've been able to see kind of the the tough years not just at four roses but at everywhere you've been able to see this resurgence back and now you've probably seen things go to the extreme to the fact that there are podcasts and radio shows that you are on right now in talking about bourbon and that's probably something that was unheard of before where do you see this industry going in the next few years
2: well you know i've I had that question asked before, but I don't really have a pat answer for it. But I would say, look at all of the expansion that's going on in the bourbon industry. Look at all of the labels that have materialized. Look at all of the emphasis that's being put on the bourbon trail in Kentucky. And look at all of the uh, interest that's being generated across the country in this particular brand of beverage alcohol Uh, being bourbon no matter what the brand name is and and to answer your question i don't think that that we've seen the end of it yet i mean everything has a cycle i'm fully aware of that and we've been through some good times and some bad times in 50 years but as far as people some people call it the bourbon renaissance is concerned i think the fact that the people are putting money into it to build more distilleries and build more stills and and production facilities and warehouses indicates that the thing's going to be around for quite a while
1: yeah i would agree zeke what what do you have so a, a couple of, of somewhat quick questions uh, so a i have a i have all 10 mashes in the single barrel they're all from uh 2007 it which is when i graduated from uh, college we had our 10-year reunion this past fall. I, I'd hoped to have everyone blend their own uh, take-home bottle, but that didn't pan out due to time restraints. I'm now faced with with doing these blends on my own. Any any tips or advice to me or anyone else that, that's looking to take some some Four Roses single-barrel expressions and, and do their own novel blending?
2: Well, uh, start out with a goal. Find out what you try to make what you want to uh, attain in the way of a uh, mingled product. And then keep notes of your percentages as you go along and find out what worked and what doesn't work. And then uh, never give up in terms of trying to find that perfect combination so you can make a drinkable mingling, if you will. Uh, I don't think that you have to start it with a baseline somewhere. So try to find the one you like the best and build off of it. That's what we do all the time.
0: I've heard you have to use a blender is that uh, any any truth to that? Do you guys whip it together in high speed blending?
2: You can, or you can just shake it up and down a little few times <laughs> in a in a carboy or in a, in a in a cylinder, and uh, see how it comes out. That's more Zeke style.
1: I can speak to that. <laughs> One other thing I had, and, and again, kind of going back to the book, <laughs> I didn't want to seem unappreciative and, and seem like I didn't pay attention there. But at, at some point, I did see a, um, a fabled eggnog recipe mentioned. And, and if it's published yes. on the website, I apologize. I, I didn't have a chance to search it out, but I, I wondered if that was still available. I, I haven't it's, old. It's uh,
2: available on the website, it also is available. In old magazine ads going back to the 1930s, it was a very popular ad that ran. In fact, that same punch bowl and cups that's in the picture in the book was used repeatedly for different expressions of the eggnog ad. But what changed was the composition of the whiskey because it went through all of the different proofs, all of the different blends, Everything that that poor uh, roses went through was caught up in that eggnog recipes it morphed over time So you can start with your eggs. You can start with your cream You can start with a you can even add the rum that's called for in some of those recipes But right now, I think you can make a very tasty eggnog even out of bought eggnog without alcohol and using small batch or if you're really capricious, single barrel. Or if you if you have a budget in mind, you can put the 80 proof in there.
1: So which one do you go with for your uh, family and friends? I would do the <laughs> small
2: batch. I would do the small batch. I would do the small batch.
0: It's like his Manhattan. He already told you the small batch is good in coffee. Hey,
1: I just want to, <laughs> to clarify. You know, there, there's the one answer. Exactly. This the one that you serve your your, your, your close-knit circle.
2: <laughs> I like that. Yeah.
0: Mr. Al Young, thank you so much for taking the time. We have really, really, really appreciated it. It's not every day that we have an opportunity to talk to someone like you. So we would be remiss if we did not close and saying thank you for everything that you have done for Four Roses. But not only that, thank you for everything that you have done for the industry. You are one of those people that continue to make it great. And we will be continuing to look and, and see what Four Roses comes out with. Because, and man, I'm going to extend this for a second. It's the 130th year. So what else is coming out this year? Is there something that we should expect? And then we'll say bye to you?
2: You know, we, what you should do, and I encourage everybody to do it, uh, is to visit our website. Keep uh, tuned for uh, special events to celebrate the 130th. Keep an eye out for press releases about special whiskeys that will be involved. This is an always evolving thing. It's going to be a topper. It's it's going to be unique. That's all I can tell you.
0: Well, we hope to see you there and uh, in person and and catch up. So, thank you very much, Zeke. Uh, you you should probably say bye to him too.
1: Yeah, uh, just r- reiterate what John said. Thank you very much. Um, you know, if if any empty hands are available on that uh, you know selection process, we'll we'll make a short trip and. Any, any single barrel picks we can uh, get our noses into, we'll certainly uh, hopefully look forward to seeing you there as well.
0: We make a good focus group. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: All right, gentlemen.
0: Thank you very much. My
2: pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I hope we haven't muddied the water.
0: No, never. Have a great night.
1: Just made it tastier. Thank dear.
2: you. You too.
0: Wow, Zeke, that certainly was an experience, having Al Young on the phone.
1: Kind of crazy, right? No. Um, it, it had been in our books for a bit, and we had to reschedule and do some other things. But honestly, just more than happy to get that knocked out, to, to hear perspective, thoughts, et cetera. And we, we tried to dive into as many questions as, as we thought were pertinent. We probably didn't pay enough attention to history and background. Uh, they were kind enough to, to send us the, the Four Roses
0: al young wrote the history of four roses so this is the return of a whiskey legend it is the whole history of four roses al young as brand ambassador is actually the official historian for the brand
1: Uh, well
0: but it has a sticker on it that matches the same thing that's on the bottle
1: of al young either way to to anyone out there this is a really neat um read really explains everything and and the diversity and, and how um, you know tumultuous the whiskey industry was over years, as far as before and after prohibition, it being you know liked or disliked, especially among the American public, and the perception that you know the owners of the brand over time, as they changed, may have had, and what they tried to do to just keep a product you know selling, and what they did with the juice, it's beyond 360 degrees to me. Agreed. It's like fifth dimension.
0: Four Roses was nice enough to send us some of their whiskey, but by no means is this a paid advertisement for them. But go find them on your shelf because they put out some really good stuff and we recognize quality. But you can find us. On Instagram, at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. On Facebook, at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us on Twitter, at Bourbon Dads. Find us on your favorite podcast provider, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife. Where else can the people find us, Zeke? Ooh, ooh, ooh.
1: Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Correct. That's the one answer I
1: always get right.
0: That is correct. But anyways, thank you very much for listening. We hope you've
1: liked this episode as much as we have. Cheers. And hey, uh, it's been a while since we've had some guests stop in. If if you're going to be in town or nearby, let us know. There's nothing we enjoy more than uh, setting up some blinds and having a good time with people. Agreed. Night. Ciao.